take pictures and still fade the words out. <laughs> and the visitors. Uh, well, I really uh, appreciate that, Casey. You, you're, uh, you're one of my real sisters in, the, in this life. Uh, the power is the ability to define reality. And I think what happens to us in our using is that we get like uh, we lose our grip on reality, obviously, from all the drugs. And when you can't find reality, that's the point. They put you in jail or bury you or put you in a hospital. And, you know, the road back is, uh, is still like a real God given, you know, mysterious thing to me. And, uh, you know, I was. Uh, you know, what I share up here, you know, be my experience reading the whole, and it's not necessarily right or wrong, it's just, you know, the best I can come up with right now. And from past experience, we're dealing with unimportant details and, you know, crap all from the past. I'm going to try to delete as much of that, and I'll, I'll share the things that, uh, the fearful part of me doesn't want you to know about. Uh, not that they're bad things, but I mean, they're very close to my heart. For one thing, uh, I was sort of twisted by the fact that as I grew up, I became more and more aware that my dad's dad, my grandfather, had uh, committed suicide. And that was all the more bad because he had been a multimillionaire on the gold standard. So I grew up wondering, well, money must not be the answer, you know? <laughs> Uh, more than most people would because of that. And also, if you're rich or famous or whatever, um, I mean, I'm not rude and polite, I hope, but I'm not necessarily impressed by money or title. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I met Eddie Arnold, you know, a country music star. And he was at the edge of the athletic field at Georgia Tech. And he was just a guy standing there. He was nice to me. Wasn't too nice, but he was just, you know, just a regular guy. And he was in the music business, made songs. We didn't talk a hell of a lot. We just kind of stood together, you know, five or ten minutes. But he gave me a feel. And I think uh, what must have happened with me, I mean, for one thing, I, I harvested a field of rabbit tobacco and put it in jars. Maybe that's an addict, you know. I went around and drank the after dinner drinks after the years party the next morning, eating the beers and had cigarette butts in them. You just kind of have to hold them right. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's an act. You know, I made my own homebrew when I was like 13 or 14 years old, sugar and water on the raisins and sugar and water on the windowsill, plus nine days. Raisins come to the top and kind of pour off the mash. And, Put about an inch of sugar in the bottom, watch it disappear. Turned out how so. Maybe that was addictive behavior. Or maybe it was the night that we, uh, I moved out from my folks. I was standing on the Baltimore block with a bunch of beatniks down in Atlanta. Because I really liked beatniks because you could sit around and drink coffee and talk about anything. And I was 14 and they were like 18 and 20 and 30, you know. And, uh, and I could talk to them about things. If I tried to talk to my teenage friends about those things, they were just, you know, what's he talking about? And um, so maybe I was like looking for somebody to talk to way back then. I'm convinced if NA had been in my environment, I would have probably gravitated to it. Um, you know, we got a recent interest in stoicism because it's, the stoa was like an outdoor place where people came and talked. And uh, I think that whole philosophy evolved behind that pre-Christian. But uh, I had more than the normal amount of questions when I was a kid. I, when I moved down on the block, I lived down there a good many months, and there was a uh, speed junkie from New York City, and Mary uh, Anderson, who was Bill Anderson's sister, would write the script. She'd get the script from the doctor for diet pills and whatever. Shelby, the newspaper editor, would pay for it, and then Lon would do about 90% of it. 
And, uh, and Ron was, told us that he was um, an ex-ballet dancer from the San Francisco Ballet Troupe. In the middle of his, you know, speed talk, that would flash by every now and then, we come up, you know, really? But then he started teaching us ballet. And so I saw him on a late night movie, you know, on the screen, and the end of the movie it says, San Francisco Ballet, I think. So maybe he was, I'm not really sure. But, you know, how it is in our world, some things are more fantastic than others, but it doesn't mean they're untrue. And uh, so and he also said, well, I found him towards Texas, and I was in jail with this guy that said, yeah, I've got a ranch. Uh, he's going to send me some uh, peyote from old Mexico next time to run down there. And uh, he said, he said, he said, he just did the last week, so I'll be here any time. Went on, and somebody stole the pink slip, tried to damn swipe the dope, and they couldn't, they wouldn't let him have it in the post office for a long time. So we all cut it up and ate the peyote. I mean, maybe that was evidence of addiction. And stayed out all night and played pals with people and lights on the ceiling and we had to lift up some cars there for be right back. It's very spooky. And, um, but, um, and he also said that I had, I was emotionally selfish, which I thought was very discerning to anybody say. And, um, I think about it is, like a lot of us, I just feel things so passionately that I, if I'm not careful, I get overwhelmed with my emotions and stuff. So I, I try to pick people that I feel safe with, you know, before I share my heart, because what the hell you normally crying in front of a bunch of enemies and stuff, right? I mean, I guess you could, but, you know, I'm weird, right? Ain't that weird? But, uh, but anyway... Um, so years passed, and my first lover was out of that crowd. She was 19, I was 14. And uh, seven years later, she had my second wife. And uh, so I read a Stephen King's book called, I uh, can't think of the name of it right now, it'll come to me. I remember it was one of the Richard Bachman series. But it was about this, this uh, this play kind of, no, it was, it was a science fiction thing. Some kid uh, made inventions, and it was supposed to be good, but wound up killing everybody on the planet. But in the, in the early part of it, he's talking about this one guy being like a genius, but his compass would wander, and he could never really settle on anything. And any kind of thing he tried to do, he could do and do rather well, but he just couldn't maintain, couldn't hold the interest in it. And then finally it locked on something, and then he said, see, King said that in the book, that's kind of like the way it is for some people, because they finally find their magnet, their true north, and after that they're overrated. Well, that's the way I am with narcotics synonymous, because every damn thing, I mean, college, the beatniks, the hippies, marching against the war, getting shot out of the land, all that fits in with me being a DNA member. A little bit of college. I mean, I made an F on my first uh, exam in English 101, and I made an A plus on my seventh. I just climbed the scale, of, you know, F, D, C, D, A, A plus. And he walked over the desk and said, "What happened here, Miss School?" And I said, "Well, apparently you taught me how to write a theme." <laughs> another way of saying stay on the subject. <laughs> My mind, mind still wanders sometimes. But uh, I do know about thematic structure, at least knowing about it. And uh, so I went there for two and a half years, but on the way to school one day I had a motorcycle wreck and I was laid up for a couple of months instead of doing a lot more because I went back to college. Also, since I didn't go back to college, I was not qualified for the draft, so the draft was in the end of this, which made me a little nervous. Um, and, you know, this is just my take on it, right? This may not be real, it might be very real. Uh, my objection to going to Vietnam was that while I might be good at killing people, it might not be good for me. And plus, I really didn't want to do it. I had heard the football scores given one night, and right after the football scores, they said, and 50 U.S. killed, 
and five hundred South Vietnamese and five thousand North Vietnamese. And the very next night, more football scores, and seventy-five Americans killed, seven hundred fifty South Vietnamese, and seven thousand five hundred North Vietnamese. I realized the figures were just bogus crap. And I got real suspicious that I might do well to not trust our national government too much. And, uh, <laughs> and years later, with this situation on my hands, I thought, well, you know what? I could just try real hard to dodge craft, and then if I make it, then fine, I'm off the hook. And if I don't, I'll just give them a gun and go to murder people. Try to come through alive and unnamed. And, uh, so, this one friend of mine, Dave Baker, his dad, they probably on the line, we did some of us in But uh, he, told, he gave me a, a list of things to do when you go down the draft board so that they don't take you. Like, see bleeding things on the street, and they'll set you out in a little room, and they come in, you know, that's like, thank you, too, when you hear hearing this, they, when you hear it, say, I can't hear nothing. Stop speaking and go, like, there it is. <laughs> it's similar things, and um, so they sent me a psychiatrist. This guy's talking about how much good he is and the services he's going to do. He says, what do you do? He has me down for psychomotor services. He says, what do you do for that? And I said, I've read newspapers. And I walked, you know, and he said, how many do you throw? And I said, 500 or not. Well, I mean, you can't do that with psychomotor services. <laughs> you can't. Let me do the math. You get the papers at two, they got to be delivered by six. But I'm kind of, really kind of an eight, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so, when, um, when I got TNA, I think the first thing, oh, hell, I ran a nonprofit thing down the strip in Atlanta for two years. The last year it got so crazy and so rough that a couple of times, uh, I became famous on the 6 and 11 o'clock news. And uh, you would tell your boyfriend that I'd pinched your ass or something, and then he'd want to beat my ass and get me down an alley and be like attacking me. And I caught my way out of it. And I've been a fighter in school and all that, like a star wrestler and all that. But I started getting nervous because sooner or later, you know, the guys were getting bigger. And I started carrying a gun. And uh, I had a lot of restraint. I mean, one biker, you know, beat me up and down the sidewalk, and I beat him down. I said, look, I don't know what the hell this is about. Five minutes, I shot you by now. And he looked down with six guns. He said, let's go get him here. I said, okay. And I never even found out what the fight was about. I mean, that's how it was down there. The main thing I learned in those two years is that there was no hope anywhere on the planet Earth for antique recovery. No anywhere, not in Tibet, not in Europe, and sure not Atlanta. And that's scary, because I think part of my little addictive imagination, I was predicating that there was something out there, you know, that you could go on to, but really there's nothing. And, uh, hell, that was, that bothered me. And, uh, I had read this book called The Beats, that's B-E-A-T-S, for the amount of transcribes it's tape, not B-W-E-T-S, and uh, <laughs> like beatniks. And there was a chapter in there on Synanon, and it said that it met in a building where a uh, chapter of Narcotics Anonymous held its meetings. So that was the first time I knew the name. And then years later, when I was on the strip, I called it Chuck Dietrich and flew out and visited Synanon. Played some Cinnamon games. But uh, that was before they started putting rattlesnakes in the mailboxes. <laughs> but uh, but they, I heard the first, I was asked about the 12 steps. I guess a lot of people have a 12 step story. And I said, What are these steps? Is that a ladder or something? <laughs> 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 I keep talking about the steps. And I'd never heard of them. And I was still ranking on the strip, of course. I mean, nobody ever suggested I might be, you know, like not doing that. Or limited it to some extent. Well, chug lugging fist, carrying the six gun, never shot anybody. But it's just a miracle. So right at the end of that is when I first called Narcotics Anonymous, really seeking help from me, actually. 
And uh, there was no listing in Atlanta. So I called around, told AA, somebody there said they knew somebody that might have a white booklet and blah, blah, blah. So I got a copy of that and held seven meetings. That was in 1971. And then my clean date is July 10th. 1974. I got married again. You know, marriage slowly fell apart again, and got divorced again. And right at the end of it is when I started. Uh, I went over to where I owned one of the AA meetings with a guy that had been my vice president, and uh, Jim, and he's been in that program all these years. I started going there about a month later. I mean, within a week, I was going to a meeting a day just checking it out. I didn't have anything else to do. And uh, within uh, nine days, it made me coffee chair. Within, that was July. Sometime in August, uh, they had the NA meeting out of Peachburg. And I, I didn't want to go to that, but I did. And I liked it. I just kept going back for five years. So slowly, over a period of time, for three years, we went from one meeting a week to two meetings a week to three meetings a week to four meetings a week to five meetings a week. And I went to a meeting today, I went to 110 meetings in my first 90 days. And every time there's a new NA meeting, I'll drop one of the AA meetings. And finally, after three years, I was going to seven meetings a week, all NA. Well, all of a sudden, the damn talk about, you know, NA, and who's working on this, and their book, where's WSO, or whatever it is, where's group conscience, we had a copy of the tree. And, uh, we weren't getting real clear answers from the West Coast, so we flew out there in 77 and uh, to World Convention in San Francisco. And in that three years, and I think this is very telling and very important, I was really scared that, that there was something good to get in NA. I mean, if you really wanted to, and that you had to work the steps to get it, I was afraid that I would rush ahead and get so involved in the other crap that I wouldn't get recovery. I'd never really worked my steps. So I just agonized over surrender. I mean, I double word step two and got me a whole new belief system. I mean, God is a sheep. And I checked it all out. And I'd never done that before, and it was very revealing. And actually, I had what? Fear and inhibition. I didn't want to do it, but I did anyway. Because I wanted to be one of the ones that didn't walk out the door, and I wanted to stay clean and see what all this was about. This is the most interesting thing in the world to me. No more than just the level of wanting recovery for myself. Hell, the first nine months, it was kind of hard for me to imagine what recovery would be. I was drinking, but I didn't give a fuck about it. I mean, I'd get drunk. But there was no compulsion. As far as I know, I'd never done any DTs or anything. It was not hard to put down. You got to, like, not drink to go to these meetings, like, fruits he do. And, uh, you know, I stopped shooting drugs earlier. And that was different. I didn't talk for about two years. Imagine those little ones, man. But, but uh, in this three years that I was really working my steps, step four, five, six, and seven, and, you know, step seven being a dope fiend's dream come true, get to be another person. You know, steps worse, you get to be another person. You stop being yourself, get to be a new self. Maybe it's self where the dreams come true. And I think the steps move from the inside to the outside, really to the cosmos. But you start with the surrender, the admissions, you change your belief system, your mind filters, the eye cannot see and the ear cannot hear, that which the mind cannot contain. And so when you clear your system, then you can start seeing things that are really there and stop seeing the hallucinations. And uh, so... And I think God works the fourth step when you turn your life and your will over. Because what addict could be fearless and thorough about anything? And, uh, you know, eight and nine extend the process. So anyway, I took all this real serious because I didn't want to get loaded. I mean, everybody that came to NA in 1974 got loaded except me. And it was just very damn few. Go to your conventions. I mean, you'll, you know, 20, 30 years, 29, 28, you know. Nobody hardly ever stands up. So, it's sad, you know. My hope for this weekend is that this will be a step towards cessation of the infighting and the hatred and backstabbing and the, the stuff that we suffer from. 
Uh, and I told some of the people we have set up the conference here. I said, bring these people together. They need to damn hear each other talk. They need to get over that shit. Put closure on it, process it, let's get on with it. I mean, a lot of really good things have happened. A lot of really good people have died. Uh, you know, we don't need to be living in the past. I mean, it's no legacy. It's Jimmy K. Jimmy K. is a friend of mine. It's no legacy. Hatred is not supposed to be part of his legacy. Jimmy would not approve. I just tell you that. As far as all this stuff about the office, I write about this stuff and this, that, and the other. So I'm not even going to try that, my little scenario of what happened with the key at the office. Um, well, maybe I should for the take, but I'll keep it brief. I think Bob Stone came in there. Jimmy had not gotten out of the office in a few days. And Bob Stone found out that a lot of people had keys to the office, and he got new keys made, probably one for Jimmy, and Jimmy hadn't picked it up yet. But the moment that he hit the door, the door was locked, and he felt he was locked out and left. So there was no chance to rush out and do, here's your key, Jimmy. But everybody expected, and my crew, everybody expected Jimmy to stay on and play a, a symbolic leadership role, and we were all happy to acquiesce to that. But like it's been otherwise said on the tape, you know, we'd beg Jimmy, I'd call him, written, come by his place and ask him to please, you know, get involved, write something. We wanted to put part of another look, which is his story, into the basic text. And, perfect place, plug it right in, he wouldn't, wouldn't do that. So I think, well, we just accept it and shrift it. You know, the great thing about acceptance is you don't have to understand. You just accept it and get to go on. So it's kind of pitiful. Uh, Doug F. came up to me and said, you got to get Jimmy involved in the book. I says, well, that's a marvelous idea. <laughs> Doug, we never thought of that. <laughs> Why don't you help with that? Because we called it and written it into the house many times. We don't seem to be getting anywhere, so maybe you can do it. Well, anyway, he's been pissing me ever since. <laughs> I can understand that. But anyway, I'm not pissed at anybody. I'm not pissed at him. I'm not pissed at anybody else. We just need to stop fighting. It's bad for our children in recovery. It confuses them, and it makes them think that old-timers really can hate each other. And I hope that's not so, because I do believe in the recovery process. So, uh, and it always confused us, and I've said this at lunch, and I'll say it now, because it's one of the things I was saying, talking about earlier that I wouldn't want to share. Uh, I asked Greg Pierce years later, why the Californians were so upset with us. And what he said, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but what Greg Pierce actually said, being a Californian, from California, he said, well, their time to write the book came, and they tried and found it to be impossible. In their experience, therefore, when they see you all doing it, it pisses them off because you're doing the impossible, so that you must be up to something. So I thought, well, I'll store that away for future reference. But, you know, I would surely like to think that all the people that get to get clean, stay clean, and at least have a chance to go into a spiritual life is a better, a great replacement for that flood of people that used to come and leave, come and leave, and come 50 people to show up before a would leave. Because that's where it used to be. And we used to have people cruising through our rooms laughing at us, picking up chicks, and the NA doesn't work, and you got to go to AA for real recovery. I told the book that's writing on the book, I said, if you want that to stop, help us get the book done. And uh, so I just want, want it to be known in the general fellowship and to, you know, just mark it down. The people that wrote your basic text, and I'm one of them, uh, had something, you can't say about outcomes, because in a way we were willing to fail. But what we talked about and verbalized among ourselves was like, well, <clears throat> if we're going to hit, if we're going to fail, we're going to get a runner's car and hit that wall so hard that when our brains splatter everywhere, somebody's better than us, and smarter than us, and more able to do it, we'll come forward to get them all rolling. And, you know, God gave us the luck. What can I say? I hope you don't think we wrote it. We were there. 
but we prayed to be used as an instrument. The real lit prayer was God, uh, free me from self-will and ego and give me sufficient strength and guidance to do your footwork. At that point, get the word out. So we wrote a letter and the word went out. Office WSO. Jimmy Kennan said, you're on the WSO Lake Committee. You're on the Board of Trustees Lake Committee. Write us a letter, Bo, because I'd been writing stuff and said, yeah, because I'd met Greg in San Francisco. And met Jamie Taylor and most other people. So I wrote a little letter. I said, why am I writing a letter? Why don't you guys write it? I ain't nothing. I ain't elected anything. And that's when Jamie said I was on all those boards. I said, well, I don't remember the election, but if you say I'm on there. <laughs> uh, so I wrote this letter, and uh, I, was, I lucked out that day. I got successfully insulting. The key line I've been told in the letter was that the reason we don't have a book is because nobody is really trying yet, or they just don't know the need. <laughs> and that pissed them off just enough to get them right without making them walk away. <laughs> And that's what somebody told me. But, uh, you know, and then I studied Dale Carnegie because, you know, just being a kid, I remember when I was 16, I read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And the key principle in there, and he evaluated everything. What's the key, you know, come on people, what's the key urge for our species? What is the deepest craving in human nature? What is the deepest craving? Is it food? Is it sex? Is it money? What is the deepest craving in human nature? The craving to be appreciated. Most of us, if we were ever really appreciated, reactive tears. Most of us come from families where addiction is born. And uh, Mama thinks I'm good for cutting the yard. To this day. All this other stuff confuses her. <laughs> and I did cut the yard, and I'm really good at it. <laughs> Not often, though. But, uh, but anyway, uh, so when people would send in, if you wrote me a little two or three paragraphs after I was selected for a lit chair through a sequence, um, I think mainly over the hundred pages that I wrote. Not that it was good. I don't know that many people read it, but it was from an attic. It was a hundred pages, so, you know, the baby lit chair. And uh, the conference. Uh, most people don't know about the other two committees I was on, the WSOLIC Committee and the WSB. But, you know. Think of them as like I was a soldier and they're like little medals you know, or something. Decorations for service. Uh, but not killing people. And uh, so we just, we tried to be kind of fat-footed and commonsensical about it. I'd write you a letter back so good that you would be dying for your husband to come home and for your wife to come home. Well, honey, <laughs> you know, where a letter is. I got a little letter from the lit committee today. Look at it. Thank you so much. We told you that terrifically. We sent out to all of our friends. And it's very important that you keep writing and doing more stuff to help us. We're so, so grateful. And here's some people posted that you can contact their contact information. And by the time you got through showing the letter to your girlfriend, later that night she thought, I could write some more stuff. <laughs> and they did. And I kept, you know, saying, well, we got another five or ten pages in today, or, you know, we got 200 pages, and then it's 400 and 500. And for some reason, that didn't make any sense to the Californians. So, if you haven't shown it yourself, you vary your approach, right? So I put it into pounds. I said, well, we have about 20 pounds of input. And they went like, oh. What a pounds? Check. That's a lot. <laughs> and uh, came a real deal. And uh, and there was a little bit of showmanship involved because I wanted the conference people to know that we really were getting input. So at the next conference I went to, uh, 
had, had all these fouls in a big footlocker. You know, twenty dollar footlocker you get at a lot of places, Walmart and stuff. So it's like full of all these fouls and stuff. So I'm lugging into the conference like this. <laughs> so I was out of the conference attendees and watching like, what the hell's again in the box? And I set the box over there and left the lid open. They're kind of like, they'd be subtle about it. You could see them homing in on that box, looking down in there. It really was input from the fellowship for the basic text. And uh, we had first conference in, uh, let's see, I was elected in 79, and I felt like group conscious was the way to go from the beginning, so I had some conference to set the site, and they set it in Wichita, because it was distant between coasts, and about 25 people showed up, and we had a little place in a community center in downtown Wichita. That's where Liz Jackson was from, along with all the corn and cows. And uh, locals call it Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> but, uh, so we worked very hard that weekend, and we did uh, minutes on how to form a lit committee, minutes on how to do a newsletter, minutes on possible chapters of the basic text, minutes on how do you fundraise within traditions, uh, and all that. Anyway, it was a, kind of a fantastic thing that ensued. The minutes were incredibly rough shape, and they were very hard to decipher, so they couldn't do them in Wichita, so they sent them to us. I couldn't get someone to do them or such and such to do them. I wound up going through the minutes, and they were undecipherable, I mean, except for the cover page. And uh, But I can put together what they, what they were saying, because I had been there, and I was the chair, and I had interacted with the committees and sat in on them. So I started writing down all the stuff, you know, putting it into prose, and it, it turned into quite a few sheets of paper, and it was typewritten. And uh, so I had a printer buddy in Marietta, and he said, you ought to do a booklet with all that stuff. He's a little country boy named Philip Page. And I said, a booklet, that'd be too hard. We couldn't do that. And he said, no, it ain't nothing, man. Just type it up. We'll have it typeset over here at Marietta River Graphics. I'll print on my own press for you. Give me a good price. Do a thousand copies. And uh, so we, that's what we did. And so that's how the handbook for NA Lit Committees was born. Because we just kept plugging away and didn't give up. And then, uh, amazingly, that got approved at the, at the conference. We thought it was going to be a $2 a copy fundraiser for the World Lit Committee because we had no subsidy, no funds. We had to come up every dollar, every stamp, and every envelope, and every piece of paper out of our own pockets. And we were later, about a year later, reimbursed with receipts only. So we thought that was kind of typical. But uh, to us, our people were dying. And so while we tried to keep a straight face through some of these scenarios, what we were really it's kind of like Jews in Germany during World War II. You know, you might be nice to Nazis, but it's not because you liked them. Not that the West Coast was Nazis, but, you know, the, fun, the, the funding and the other little things that happened and all was strange. And, you know, Jimmy, going back to Jimmy for a second, he was always very supportive and friendly and loving and terrific and making positive suggestions and all that, but I, my fantasy is that he had some buddies working on him whispering shit into his ears. I don't know. But some of the stuff was pretty fantastic. You know how dope things are. And uh, so that's what happened when he got left to my imagination. But anyway, we were not worried. We weren't. Our main job, and from the holy books I studied, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and looking at all this from a grave... Uh, that uh, casket uh, was to keep our eye on the ball and don't get distracted and pray for strength and guidance. And distraction was anything that would get us off the next positive thing we could do. So we just didn't get distracted. And we got the handbook done. Well, lo and behold, they thought so much of our work that even though it came out way after the 90-day review period, they decided to approve it. So the $2 went to WSL. And we got to fund ourselves for the second year. And they messed around and they'd be lit chair again. And uh, 
but we set another conference site, and the conference decided where it's going to be. The next World Convention, this is an interesting fact about NA history that I don't think anybody knows because I never hear it brought up, is, you know, the AA program, you heard of that? Well, they have a young people's component, and they have a convention, and so wherever, just by luck now, when the AA Young Peoples was in Southern California, that's where the NA World Convention went. And then when the Young Peoples AA Conference was in San Francisco, that's where the next year they had the NA Convention. I've been told that I haven't even checked it out. It might be just a fucking rumor. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point of it, the, the good side, the important part of it, it's not a rumor, is once we started having these lit conferences, we had a lit conference in Wichita, and we got from San Francisco to Houston to Atlanta. I shared the Atlanta World Convention with no guidelines. Call me California. Give me some guidelines. There ain't none. Oh, God, are you kidding? Call old Houston. They might know something. Call old Houston. They were all mad because they were all fight after the convention. You know, the committees would. They set aside personal preference in favor of group purpose until the convention was over, then they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, God bless him. And that guy that chaired the Milwaukee World Convention, he was the one that um, actually sent us a bundle of input. And do you know how many of his subcommittee chairs came forward and helped him write the input? Big fat zero. It made him so damn mad that he made a, he made a really good report of how to do merchandising, how to do Asian, I mean, hospitals and hospitality, and how to do uh, program committee and the whole thing. And so what I did was elaborate on it. I chaired a world convention. He chaired a world convention. And he had a base document, so I elaborated on it. Then I finally got a group conscious six months later at Memphis, and I said, we're going to play a game here. You all have all got copies of it. I'm going to read it, and I'll pass the reading around. But then I want you to write down, because at some point you're going to want to say, I'd like to say such and such, throw your hand up. Well, before you throw your hand up, write down what you would say on the piece of paper. Then you can throw your hand up. And if you, and I'll keep my eyes on them. When she threw that hand up, I said, I didn't see no writing back there. And so the trick was, you wrote down what you had to say about it. And then later, I had a stack of 20 or 30 sheets copies of the document, that's what became the approved convention guidelines several years later. Because it's group conscious. I mean, by then, I, I knew about the process. How to involve other people with it. It doesn't matter what I think. What the hell do I know? But you get 50 people together and get what they collectively think, and now you've got something. It's interesting. And all the little discoveries are just thrilling. You lose your fear of the process. It becomes addictively curious. I mean, it'll draw you. But, uh, so anyway, the second World Aid Conference was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we had, uh, this time, I think about maybe 50, 40 or 50 people show up. We were all real poor. We pooled our money and sent out for chili. And we just, you know, we were all hungry as hell and ate the chili. And we met at, they kept us a federal building in downtown Lincoln. I'll squeeze it in, honey. There's lots of tapes like this, so there ain't no shortage. But, um, so I'll try to put stuff that ain't on those tapes in this. Now, so they, the Jim uh, Inn set it up with the winos in downtown Lincoln, Nebraska. They're not Panhandle us, but we were riding a boat. <laughs> and bumped us and said, okay. <laughs> and one kid came in loaded and was so rambunctious. Uh, and I had a real surrender, good surrender. I could be aggressive, but I could also surrender last year. And uh, Bob B. had showed up, and Greg P. had showed up, and I were trustees. So we got our subcommittee, the WC, got a good help from the trustees. And this did some work back then. And uh, so, anyway, uh, this kid was loaded, and I didn't want to tell him, I didn't want to turn out. You know, I was chair, I could have I could have gone to a couple of stout fellows and said, I need to take him outside and have a talk. I didn't do none of that because, I mean, it's a lit conference, man. You don't want to damn spoil the atmosphere. You know, we're not a bunch of thugs. 
So what happens, the most great thing could have happened. You know, the guy's like talking out of his head a little bit and asking questions out of turn, wanting to talk for 10 or 15 minutes. And uh, this young lady sitting right here, she said, she, she realized nobody else was going to step into the moment, so she said, we're writing this book for you, but we're not going to let you stop us from writing it. So you need to go outside now. And that was good. And then I remember sitting right here, and this little cute Wichita gal came in, or Midwestern gal, cute woman out there. She sits down, she's fishing, you know. I tell she a little nervous. I said, Have you said you left prayer? She said, What's that? I said, Well, See all those people? They said this prayer for God to remove the self will and the ego and give the strength and guidance and do his footwork. Look, we've printed out a little piece of paper here. Once you take it out of the hall, do your lip prayer and then come back in. She said, Okay, okay. So she leaves with the paper about five minutes later. She comes back in. She's throwing her hands up. She's making hand foot and stuff. Because the ego's out of the picture. We all knew what the rules were. We agreed to them. We all surrendered to them. So it wasn't nuts. That might look nuts to an outsider, but you know we were very careful about these things. And we would also do other things uh, that probably looked funny to outsiders. One one thing would be getting in people's face and asking them how they really worked a step, or like, I mean, you obviously have something to say. You got to spit it out. You want to go out in the alley? We'll work it over some, huh? Just kidding. But when your body hears those words and sees that body language and shit, you'll say, well, blah, 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 I actually did so-and-so. Write it down. Write it down. Thank you, sir. Write it down. It's a stitch, but it works. Well, guess what people that get out of universities and get a job at WSO out of a uh, movie company, maybe, or something like that, guess what they think of that literary technique? They think we're insane. So that's what happened to our lit process. That's why we, the lit work that I'm doing for the fellowship right now, and I work on it every single day, is outside the structure. I mean, I can't exactly explain what happened, but I mean, we set World Lit Committee up to be a support system for addicts, secret recovery, and people who want to do some good things contribute to our common welfare. And we no longer have a support system. Well, it's not there, more trustees in there. We have to get anything done. We have to work outside the system. How do you like that, Mr. Tate? And that's the truth. And plus, we're making it. I mean, the stuff reads good. I get all teared up. I can talk about it, okay? But when I read it, I get teared up. You know, with so much love and caring and concern of you. There's the Anyway Life book is uh, the application of spiritual principles. And it's a continuation of where the basic text left off. The basic text is basic because we were young then. We didn't get input on employment, so we didn't feel it was our place to make up nothing. We didn't get input on parenting, so we didn't think it was our place to make up nothing. We didn't get input on getting over abuse, neglect, and recovery. We didn't feel it was our place to make up anything. Today, we get plenty of input on those things. We have five chapters. We've got a chapter on sex. So we call it a not-so-basic text for adults. <laughs> and every, every week I ship more books than WSO shipped in the 20 years preceding the basic text. And I do it on the DNA Foundation group. And we send surplus funds to WSO and they send us nice little thank you notes. So we're happy. I hope they're happy. I hope you're all happy. And I hope that many good miracles come from this conference. There were other conferences, but like I say, there are other. You want back? No, fair is fair. The sad says five. Oh, please share your vision. She's helping me. My friend seems to understand these things. Please share your vision of the future of NA. And I first got married the first time. I've been married more seven times. The first time, we went down to Richard's apartment store. We were going to buy a couch. And I walked in. I saw this couch. It looked good to me. I was ready to go right then. But I went around the store and looked at every other damn couch that was in the entire place. 
came back to couch number one, ordered it, and they shipped it. I think that's how the fellowship thinks. So when in fallow periods, I figure the fellowship's out to lunch thinking about it. And I do believe in waveform for a lot of things, including our fellowship. And I, uh, I think that the fellowship has come to a place now where they're starting to ask questions again, they're starting to think again, they're starting to evaluate answers and verify or now facts, supposed facts, reported facts. I mean, we have a very interesting language within uh, our NA society. I remember the years that we learned misinformation, disinformation, and all that. And you know, if it's raw data, it's raw data. If it's in formation, it becomes a phone book. <laughs> Try cutting up a phone book and putting each little piece of paper in a box. Now finding Mary Jones's phone number. You can't do it. It's not in formation. So we're coming into an era where people are hungry for real facts and they're willing to sacrifice the personal preference for group goals like we're all doing. And, uh, and you know, uh, I tell people, I say, anything that World Services is not doing, you do it. If you want a world record, you make a world record. Somebody here could go home. It's night before morning. If you kept at it, you could find enough regional mailing uh, meeting lists to compose a world record in Archives Anonymous and print out. Go sleep. <laughs> You'd be tired. But I mean, you know, in the old days, we couldn't do that. You know, if you say you, know, you need some HNI somewhere, you need some uh, help with public information or literature or whatever, just innovate. I mean, we've, we've got a history now. You've got tapes now. You can check out our techniques. I've written books on how the basic tech was written. So you can access all that. If you have any trouble, ask one of us. Uh, I'll let this be my closing thing because this will be a good place to close it. Uh, there are more conferences. We, the one rule that I have that fortunately I never kicked anybody's ass over this or got them thrown out of the committee over it. But our rule was that we never speak ill of others. Get that? Never. Why? Because it rebounds on you. You may feel powerful for a moment or two, but you just don't see it coming. But if you speak ill, if you actually wish harm to somebody else, then you're going to have four flat tires in a row. That's where that, when you don't do that, that's when you have them good days. So all of us try to be careful about that. Um, and as far as I know, in my experience, I never heard all our entire expectation about Jimmy K and the WSO is that he would go on there in an honored position. Not as some kind of stupid figurehead, but as, like, if you want to know Jimmy K, get the 20th and 21st anniversary tapes, because he speaks well on those tapes. And when people speak well of Jimmy K, that's what they're speaking about. Not when he's sick, not when he's in the hospital, not when he's dying, but he's like in his prime. And for 10 years or so, especially in the in 1970s, everybody's phone number in the world. If you had trouble with your meeting or your service committee or whatever in the hell, you could always get Jimmy K. Am I right, Terry? And everybody in the home fellowship, including Bo, called up Jimmy K. And uh, he helped everybody. And then he got a little older. So what? That ain't a crime. I'm, I'm not but 58. I'm getting weird. <laughs> Check me out in 10 years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, your memory starts to go a little bit. Let's go further. I changed the rules. I changed it. Turn 50. Okay, but anyway, when the basic test got approved by the committee in Miami, Florida, after the Miami World Convention, Remember when I said the World Convention, the Lit Committee followed us so Miami World Convention, Miami Lit Conference. And we weren't done after a week, so we stayed over in the clubhouse for a few more days and got done. And what we knew it was done was because people started saying, well, change this, and somebody said, no, we reviewed that at the last conference. Well, change that. No, that's mentioned over here. So the committee as a whole, I went out in the hall with Joseph, and I said, they're done. They're going to do another thing on this book. So that's when it was approved. I went back in, I suggested they all raised their hands, and bam, there it was. The miracle happened. Down the beach with Jim M., Greg P., Joe Proctor, and myself, and Jim and Joe, and I functioned. Uh, and Greg Pierce was like our mentor or something. And um, 
we were like a triangle. And I was good at some things, and Jim was good at some things, and Joe was real good at some things. And, but together, we were a good team. And uh, we were on the beach, and the book was done. And the moon was like that. And uh, we were talking about various things in the future, the future. And I said, I, I want us to go forward and do for others what's been done for us. And if we run into people that want to do some good thing for our class and that we help them. We give them the information we have. We introduce them to the people they need to meet. And we uh, call those people and let them know they come in where they be well received and easy way for them. And I've become in the last few years, especially about, I think, the last five years, NA is a family. NA is a very large extended family. It's not a tribe. Uh, if it were a tribe, I would be a chieftain. Where are my feathers? Uh, it's a large family. Uh, it's ruled by the moment. And who needs what and who's got it and how can we get it to them? And everyone else plays a role in that. And it is a society. You, you people need to study your fellowship as a society. What are the social rules of Narcotics Anonymous? Put in the big blank. Uh, why don't we savage newcomers? What happens when we fuck over newcomers? Sell the insurance, sex, whatever form it takes. The only thing really bad about sex is that it gives them excuses to say, you don't really care about me, you just want to fuck me. So you don't want you don't want to fall in that trap. I mean their disease wants them to use, right? So if they can get over on you, they're good to go. So we don't after a while we learn the rules and we don't let them get over us because we love them, we don't want them to die. And if you want to get laid, get laid on your own damn time, you know. <laughs> that. But uh but anyway, that's our vision for the future, is that you people, and what you're learning, you share it with others, and they share it with others, and you learn more, and build more, and have other conferences like this, and put it in writing, and if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I read what you wrote, that's just a bunch of shit, you say, exactly where is the bunch of shit? And what would you like to see corrected? And if it's all possible, correct it. Who gives a damn? Let's get it right. And if it's in right, if it's right, let's put it in writing. Because if it's not in writing, the disease can play with it easier. And Camus said, writers write. Writers are driven to write. I have to write. Thank you. Thank you both. Good morning, Lisa. I'm an addict. We'd like to get started back with the meeting. This is the 50th Anniversary History Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, October 3rd to the 5th, 2003. October 5th is the 50th anniversary to the day of the first advertised Narcotics Anonymous meeting. At this time, a recovering addict has agreed to read the 12 traditions 